You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, where you will meet entrepreneurs, cultivators, scientists, doctors, and inventors in the cannabis industry. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel, marketer and publicist in the cannabis industry. Today we meet Paul Weaver, head of R&D for Boston Beer's Cannabis Division, based in Toronto. They are the creators of Teapot, a THC-infused iced tea brand they are testing and perfecting in Canada with plans to launch in the U.S. when the time is right. So far, they're accruing accolades and awards for Teapot. Great name. Let's meet Paul Weaver. Hi, Paul. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Pam. How are you today? Yeah, good, good. So uh, where are you today? I'm in Toronto. Oh, you are? Okay. All right, cool. And that's where the company's based or not? Boston well, beer. Boston Beer Company is is based in Boston, but um, our, cana- our cannabis division is based here in Canada with the head head office here in Toronto. And oh. I'm, in my, I'm in my home here in Toronto. Um, so yeah, so actually, why don't we just start out with, um, you know, if you could just tell us a little about Teapot, uh, you know, why you chose to launch an iced tea brand, um, and why you chose the flavors that you chose. Let's just start with that. Is 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 the base of the conversation. Yeah, yeah of course. Well, I mean, I'm uh, I'm grateful to have the chance to chat, and mm-hmm. thanks for thanks for having me. So, uh, Boston Beer Company, which is my parent company, um, <clears throat> is a, an alcohol beverage company based in America that sells brands like Samuel Adams and Twisted Tea, um, Angry Orchard Cider, Truly Hard Seltzer, some of the the kind of most notable beverages and beverage alcohol come from Boston Beer Company. And uh, Twisted Tea in particular is one of our best-selling products. Uh, It's a very unique and um, difficult to make drink, and it's found success for us here in in North America. The um, thought process when we were entering the cannabis division uh, or cannabis um, uh, industry was, how do we lean into our strengths? How do we do what we do best? and um, uh, bring some of that expertise to the cannabis industry. So making a great tasting iced tea is something that our R&D department does better than anybody, I think. And so there was just kind of a natural extension of that. Plus, there's a really fun kind of parallel between tea and cannabis, I find. There's kind of daytime varietals of tea, and there's evening varietals of tea. There's a lot of terroir. There's a lot of reverence for um uh, appreciation of tea. There's tea sommeliers, and um, <clears throat> we do that with our um, with our tea brand. So we created this brand called Teapot, Tea and Pot. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and the idea is to pair the right tea with the right pot for the right occasion. So we've got uh, varieties of daytime good day iced teas like lemon black tea and a mango green tea, and then we have good evening iced teas that are. Uh, we've got a blueberry chamomile. We're just coming out with that blackberry rooibos in a couple months that are evening iced teas that are designed to kind of replace your glass of wine at the end of the night. So two reasons, Pam. One, we think we can make a really great tasting product better than anybody specifically in tea. And then we do it in a very uniquely cannabis way, which is kind of telling this time of day story, um, pairing the right strains of pot with the right varieties of tea. Um, so it's a very diverse product lineup. 
Yeah, it's it's very creative. I, I wouldn't have thought about it, but like lucky you, like you said, you were looking for something within the company that you could expand on into the into the cannabis space. And that worked really well. And and it's so true. I'm I'm mostly a coffee drinker, but tea for sure I do sometimes. And it and the flavors do depend on the, the time of day of, you know, a nice afternoon tea versus a nice Royce tea at night. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I'm a coffee drinker myself, uh, primarily. Um, and when I have a, uh, when I choose tea, I feel like I'm an elevated experience. I'm going a little bit more sophisticated than my high octane. Pitch oh, black yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I usually think of it as, as a, re a relaxing kind of time, uh, you know, and, and yeah. actually one of my favorite combinations, um, I, you know, a lot of people are infusing honey, uh, you know, I'm seeing that pop up in, yeah. you know, in the illegal and legal marketplace. Um, but I mean, it's just so perfect an infused honey with, with tea. I don't know anyway, but anyway, but that you're doing iced tea versions. We'll so. put that in my, our product pipeline. We'll, we'll add that <laughs> to the list. Yeah. It's serious. It's just like one of my favorites. You know, um, we could do like a, a CBN honey or a CBG honey, and you can kind of make your own. Oh yeah. Yeah. Maybe we do something final on that. I like that. Yeah. Oh, like just do a, yeah. Yeah. Like a non- a non, so you you don't have to fight with the authorities on uh, the THC levels, but if you just did it as a as a, a minor cannabinoid, maybe, and then as an. Well, I'm thinking, uh, you know, combining the two, you know. Have, oh yeah. Oh yeah. A, a can of uh, our iced tea, and then a, an infused uh, honey stick, and then we put the two together. Oh, a honey stick. Ooh, I like that. I shouldn't be writing this down. I should be writing all these ideas down. <laughs> it's like those sugar sticks that you put yeah. in. Well, I mean, also one of my favorites that's going to be in the marketplace and that I've been testing is the either the powder um, mm. powder ones or, um, each, you know, just the liquids uh, add to your add to your drinks. Um, so that's definitely coming out. Uh, and also the droppers. I know I did go to an event the other night and they they uh, uh, a brand was promoting this, you know, where you can get the the emulsified um, uh Tincture. Like a tincture? Not yeah. a tinct it's not tincture it's emulsified so it can mix into drinks yeah so, but that that's definitely coming out too so yeah but i'm sorry before i ask you a couple more questions i i did read that you do have a, a lot of experience in r d and innovation can you just give us a little background on your experience there and how you're kind of driving the the force in uh, boston beer for cannabis beverages yeah i mean uh first it's not just me we've got a really um really experienced uh, R&D team uh, that, that I get the chance to work with. Um, my background, I worked um, in the beer business for a number of years um, here in Toronto. And then I, um, I was working for a cannabis company called Canopy Growth Corporation, where I was their director of innovation for a few years, working on a variety of different kind of innovative uh, product types, whether it's, you know, vape carts and chocolates and, um, pre-rolls and, um, and of course, beverages. And there's a, there's a very um, familiar cadence of how you develop a product, a product development process from coming up with an idea, you know, can, can we make it, can we make it at scale? Uh, can we manufacture that, distribute that and, and, um, and market that? So there's, there's a familiar process of, of launching a new product that has worked for years in, in the beer industry uh, and we've kind of refined it and made it uniquely cannabis. And now we're kind of bringing those two worlds together. So my background is kind of from beer to weed 
and now beer weed here with the, this beer company. And then my, my uh, extended team includes people who've worked in um, flower cultivation and extraction um, and R&D from a number of different cannabis companies as well. So we have a, um, a pretty good brain trust. Uh, the yeah. brightest minds in cannabis beverages, I think, work here at Boston Beer. Yeah. Okay. And all those points that you just touched on is I'm, I'm so curious about and how it relates to uh, weed beverages. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, who is your, I guess, is your target market for these drinks? Who is your target market? And and did you just launch in the U S or have you, you're also in Canada as well, I would assume. So we're exclusively in Canada, Pam. So oh. because Boston beer company is a publicly traded company on the New York stock exchange, our, um, our ability to participate in the American cannabis market right now is pretty, pretty obscured. And it's difficult for us to really lean into the American cannabis market. Canada, however, is unequivocally legal, very crystal clear, federally regulated guidelines. And so that allows us to do our R&D work, try out some brands, <clears throat> launch some products, get some feedback, really tighten up our, our, um, our, our, our new muscle memory here so that one day we could launch in America. That's kind of the, oh, the okay. thesis for the department. So we've been doing this now for about a year. We've launched Teapot and we found some really good success. Teapot's the number one cannabis tea in Canada. It's the number one um, edible in the province of Quebec. Um, it was voted the 2023 best new product award. So we've got some really good accolades and, and success stories behind Teapot, um, but we're just getting started. It's a lot about refining our bundle and making sure that we're ready to um, to execute in America where we can get that going. Okay, I I totally um, I I didn't um, I didn't understand that. I thought you guys were already in the Massachusetts market. Yeah, no, it would make sense that okay, the Boston okay, Beer Company well, would be in Boston, and we will one day. Don't get don't get me wrong. Yeah, but, yeah. Okay, uh, we're no, under a, a different set of uh, of uh, restrictions than than most of the U.S. cannabis companies are. Okay, I I I totally missed that, and that that's great because now I I understand where where my questions are going here, and and, yeah, and totally. haven't made it in the market. So that's interesting too. So you're kind of right at the at the threshold of of trying to enter the market. So that's kind of an interesting topic as well. But okay, so um so as far as your target market, are they? And when you launched this product, were you going after the non-alcoholic drinkers or is, is that your target market of <clears throat> Canada and like age group demographic? How, well, how the, the, the great thing about Teapot is it's a very inclusive brand. It's 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 not, um, you know, an aggressive kind of pot brand. And it's not um, uh, it's not. It's not necessarily kind of uh, offensive to a cannabis consumer. So we really like this kind of Venn diagram of two kind of core reasons to consider teapot. And it's two distinct groups that maybe never really hang out. One is the experienced cannabis consumer that is um, looking to complement their cannabis experience with something that maybe doesn't involve inhalation. So, you know, maybe maybe a cannabis consumer that should be smoking less, inhaling less, preserving their, their lung health. And offering a you know a fast onset, great tasting, sessionable beverage that they can have a few of, and um, the new cannabis consumer that's looking for a comparable alternative to alcohol that might be a little bit intimidated by pot culture. They need something that's easy to understand. Teapot is very simple. It's a very simple to understand product. Um, it's only five milligrams of THC, so it's a modest amount, so it won't freak out someone that's considering cannabis for the first time. 
And, uh, and that's the other part of the Venn diagram. So the current cannabis consumer that maybe should be smoking less and, and preserving their lung health and the future cannabis consumer that's looking for a new alternative to alcohol, but is maybe a bit intimidated or um, confused by um, pot culture because it, it gets a little, it gets a little um, intimidating and it gets a little culture, uh, very counterculture. So teapot's designed to be disarming. Teapot is supposed to be very welcoming and inclusive. And that's kind of our mission. Our goal with teapot is, is to be the most inclusive cannabis brand. It's a social brand. Cannabis drinks are inherently social. They're not supposed to be, you know, leaving the party and going outside and coming back in. This is meant to be in the party, in the same room, uh, and very communal. Right. And, and t right. So I guess it's the same approach, the same marketing approaches that you went after for non-alcoholic beverages, which seem to be doing pretty well here in the U.S. Is I don't know how they're doing in Canada, but they yeah, seem- Yeah, well, we, I mean, we, we have a great non-alcoholic um, pair of beers that we sell under our Samuel Adams brand. And, you know, there's no, there's no active ingredient in there. There's no, no buzz from drinking a non-alcoholic beer. So it's a bit of a different beast when it comes yeah, to non-alcoholic right. products. But <clears throat> I think what it speaks to, Pam, is both of these types of products speak to this, you know, 21st century mindset towards alcohol consumption. You know, the, the secret's out. People are aware of, um, of their alcohol consumption. They're tracking it now more than ever. Um, and, they're more mindful than ever of, of, of what they're putting into their body. So, um, but brands still matter. Taste still matters. Refreshment still matters. So if you can deliver something that's, you know, the same experience, but just sans alcohol, um, whether that's replacing it with another intoxicant like THC or uh, a completely non-intoxicating product like non-alc beer, like both, both have a long future ahead of them. Right. And can you, can you sell it? Can you sell a teapot in liquor stores in Canada? Not yet. So right now, cannabis beverages in cannabis beverages in America are in this kind of crossroads where some of them are being sold in liquor stores as like a hemp product, and some of them are sold in dispensaries as a what's called a marijuana product. In Canada, there is no delineation. All cannabinoid infused products go through kind of government controlled um, and independently controlled dispensaries. So that's um, that's how they're sold right now. Very small market because of the dispensary hurdle. Most of our target drinkers maybe have never set foot in a dispensary. You know, they find that experience pretty intimidating. So um, for us, success means being able to play in both markets. It's being able to sell teapot in a dispensary. And what does that mean? And how do you stand out there? And then how does teapot work in a traditional liquor store model? And how might we, you know, lean into our strengths of, of, uh, of selling in that channel? Right. So how, so how are, I guess, are you, how are you approaching it? How do you approach it when you first launch a brand? Do you just come out all guns blazing and actions <laughs> like, like when well, you just curious, like when you launch, you know, there there's the, it's a crowded market, you know, when you go walk into a liquor store and I'm not a beer drinker, but when I look at those, that beer lineup, I think like, wow, I wouldn't even, it's, it's such a crowded space. Like, how do you, I mean, it's great. You're coming out as one of the first infused beverages. That's great. Um, but I, and, and I, what's your, what's your competition in the Canadian markets, uh, marketplace for, well, the, I mean, so first, like the competition, uh, is all relative. So in the beverage alcohol space, there are, it's never been easier to start up your own craft beer brand, right? There's a, a number of 
um, co-packers and co-manufacturers you can work with. So you don't own to own a brewery. Um, it's pretty easy now with basic graphic design tools to come up with a great logo. And yeah, it's never been easier to launch your own craft beer brand. So how do you stand out in that channel? Yeah, yeah. And it's 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 not too dissimilar in cannabis beverages. It's just a smaller fridge. So the, the fridge is smaller, but that just means the competition, although there's less of us, uh, it's just we're fighting over um, uh, a different size portion of the fridge. The the first is how we ensure two two things, and I think the principles apply to both channels. And uh, and apologies, this is a bit corporate speak, <laughs> but it, oh. it it does make sense. So the first is uh, the 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 availability, right? Both physical availability and mental availability. So physical availability means is it in the store? Like have we done our job to ensure that it's physically in those points of distribution? And that's just a reflection of the um, acumen of your sales force. How broadly distributed can your product be? And is it in the right stores? And then mental availability is mostly marketing. Are we doing our part to drive awareness, purchase consideration so that when you're walking into that store, it's floating in the back of your mind, whether that's deliberate or not. We've done our job in terms of marketing so that there's something bouncing around in your head that you've you've heard of this brand, or maybe you, you're considering this flavor, or there's something about it so that when you, you see it in your periphery, it pops. That's how we kind of drive that intrigue and purchase physical and mental availability but at the end of the day taste it's just taste doesn't it taste better right i think more so than any other form factor in, in cannabis taste is the most important factor for a cannabis beverage you know you can survive two bites of a terrible gummy um tinctures drops um oils though don't really matter in terms of taste flour there's a lot of other attributes that you assess value beyond just like the the flavor, I guess, of the, of the pot, but a cannabis beverage, that's a, that's a 10, 15, 20 minute commitment towards a specific flavor and you better taste awesome. And yeah. otherwise you're not going to get that repeat purchase. So I think to get that initial purchase, it's that physical and mental availability, but what gets the repeat and what gets loyalty and what gets drives our continued success, both in alcohol and now in cannabis, it just has to taste awesome. And it's, it's not rocket science. It's just very difficult. Yeah. Right, right. And and one of the big complaints that I've been hearing from dispensaries here in the United States or, or beverages that are trying to, trying to get shelf space is that they they don't, you know, it's not like you're used to going into a grocery store or, you know, working in a grocery store. They're all they're used to having to divide up that space. But dispensaries, from what I'm hearing, are kind of reluctant to bring in the beverages because they take up so much space and they're trying to move product is how do you, I'm sure that's something you've battled in the past. What would you say to uh, a buyer in that case? Well, I think the first, you have to be empathetic to their business model, right? Like if you're a small footprint retail store, you know, like if you've got a, a convenience store size shop um, with only so much, um, shelf space out front and only so much vault space in the back. Beverages are large. Beverages are heavy. Beverages take up a lot of space. And a vape cart is only that big. It is, you know, $60, $70. So I think it's being empathetic to the role that a cannabis beverage plays when you're trying to sell through a dispensary. And it's really about basket building. <clears throat> it's about topping up your purchase, understanding how you can upsell a cannabis buyer with a few drinks or how you upsell a cannabis beverage consumer with a vape cart. And that idea of uh, separating out 
the dispensary retail model from a traditional liquor store model. Like, like a liquor store, they're, they're built for that. They built for the shelf space. They've got the large fridges. They've got enough storage in the back to handle heavy, large volume liquids versus a small dispensary where we're selling single cans. We have to compete against vape carts and a consumer that is probably um, looking for bang for buck purchases, right? So I think it's and being empathetic to how you basket build in a dispensary, but also knowing that there are two different channels in which a cannabis beverage can be sold. And it requires kind of a different selling tactic, whether it's sold in a liquor store or sold in a dispensary. Right. Well, I heard Minnesota, you can sell in, I believe, a liquor store now. So that's- Yeah. And in Minnesota, where uh, I was in the Minnesota market about a month ago, and it just looks like- A regular- form of beverage alcohol. And it's moving very, very fast. And it just feels very natural and organic right there. It feels right at home in a a liquor store. So it's really crazy to see a, a state like Minnesota, you know, a Midwest, I don't know if you call it Midwest, like a Midwest, you know- yeah, oh, American kind of place like just selling cannabis drinks right alongside traditional liquor, and they're they're thriving, uh, and it doesn't feel out of place. No, of course, no, it definitely. That was, my, that was that was my doorbell agreeing with me. Oh, I didn't hear that. I couldn't hear it. From here. That's funny. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's like I was like a perfect. perfect oh. <laughs> um. Yeah, I wonder how that'll change when uh, state. Uh, you know, federal laws change, um, if it'll even be allowed, I'm not even sure how that'll change. But um, so, right, so you can sell across your across Canada, and it's it's not a problem. We're here, we're state siloed for yeah. selling and things like that. So what is what is your what is Boston Beer's plan for coming to America? What what is what is the game plan? I think that it's hard to predict, right? Like it's hard to predict what yeah, the rules are going to look like in front of us. And I think that's where we're the, our approach is ensuring that we've got the best tasting product and a really great brand to communicate that story, which is all about, which is why teapot is so important for us, right? We're really emphasizing ownership of a product and we're, we're trying to stay kind of neutral in terms of how and where those products are, are manufactured and sold. So for us, that could mean, uh, a national infrastructure through hemp that could mean um, the traditional MSO cannabis model that could mean some new federal regulatory scheme that we have to adapt to. At the end of the day, uh, a great liquid with a great brand is going to be relevant no matter what scenario unfolds. Uh, we're expecting some progress in terms of federal cannabis policy over the next 12 months, and that'll that'll open up new options hopefully for us. But you know, we're a patient. Not knowing, yeah, not knowing. So I think again, it's. It's hard to predict. I think the key is just making sure that the product is consistent, regardless of whatever truck it goes on or whatever shelf it happens to be placed on. Right. So I'm just thinking. So you couldn't even. So you couldn't. Are you? Were you saying that you could come in through an MSO? Not be. You would have to have. I guess you couldn't be tied to the. You couldn't be tied to your company. I guess. I. I don't know how else you would. Well, you're. You're now. We're kind of speaking beyond both of our expertise right yeah. like there's there's a, yeah. the regulatory environment right now in america as far as how cannabis companies are, are treated for publicly traded companies like us it just it's not really an option so we, need, we need policies to evolve we need um precedent to be set and we'll react to that but again like we're not committed to we're not invested in any specific piece of infrastructure or okay. any specific um long-term strategic partnership 
we are a brand and recipe and we get to uh, be that flexible as the market continues to unfold and, and be unpredictable. But the one thing that we can predict is that a beverage brand with a logo on it will have uh, have relevance. So it's, it's, it's trying to be owning what we can control and trying to be as flexible as possible. So you couldn't come in with your IP and white label with somebody in a different state legally as a public company, right? You couldn't do, you couldn't even start getting in and getting your brand known that way. Is that a way to do it? I don't even know. It's not something that we've explored. Okay. um, Okay. So it's not, okay. I was just curious. I I hadn't thought about it because I really hadn't thought about it. I thought you guys had already gotten into Massachusetts. So I I, I wasn't sure how that was working. I I think that what you're speaking to, Pam, is there are plenty of clever backdoor shenanigans that maybe you could explore to capitalize on something in the short term, but we're in this for the long term. And for us, the long term means making sure the brand and recipe are consistent and built with some level of consumer loyalty and consistency. And another thing I was wondering is is how did you decide on your branding, (laughs) your logo, your design compared to, does it compared to how you would normally approach a, an other alcoholic brand or non-alcoholic brand in your portfolio? How was um, that about on your team? Well, we knew we needed to create a new brand um, just based on the market regulations here in Canada. And then um, it was really then just an exercise of iteration. You know, what we knew we had a great tasting drink. We knew we had to create a new logo and a bunch of different name ideas. Once we heard the name Teapot though, we were like, done name it. Yeah, that was, that's, I think, you know, when you know, you know, and we knew with the name teapot and then it was kind of a downhill process from there. Once we started with the great liquid, we struck gold, I think with a really succinct fun name. And then how do you communicate that as, as quickly as possible? Yeah. And, and are you working with, uh, craft, uh, uh, farmers up there, craft cultivators? And and are you, are you honing in on strains or, yeah, I'm great question. Your strains and terpenes and how's all, how's all that going for the connoisseur, <laughs> for the cannabis connoisseur? Yeah, yeah. By your drink, yeah. So how we've set up our um, cannabis partnerships is we have a exclusive relationship with a company called Entourage Health Corporation, which has access to unique cultivars here in Canada. So um, I mentioned earlier, we've got a daytime iced tea and an evening iced tea. Our daytime iced tea uses a strain called Pedro's Sweet Sativa, which is a a popular strain that predates legalization here in Canada. It's a nice uppity daytime strain of of pot. And then our evening iced tea, we use a strain called Black Sugar Rose, which is a a indica strain. If you subscribe to that uh, nomenclature, uh, it's a nice relaxing, um, easing uh, cannabis strain. But it's important to note, you know, when it comes to making a great tasting iced tea, that we use, we really just like, our goal is to make it not taste or smell like pot at all. So that's really, <clears throat> although we use that strain, um, the terpene content and kind of aromatics and kind of je ne sais quoi of, of what, you know, makes it maybe have a lot of love in the um, uh, flower space. We're really, it just tastes like a great tasting iced tea. So there is a little bit of love given to that strain as part of marketing. Uh, and we use that strain to to provide the ingredient, but it's uh, uh, it doesn't taste or smell like pot at all. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. So do you do you just uh, are you using just distillate uh, only, or are you doing uh, you know different cannabinoids and terpenes? Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's a distillate that we use, okay. and so what we'll, we'll able what we're able to get from that is 
uh, mostly the cannabinoid content of that of those plants, but most of the terpene content and kind of intangibles of the of a full spectrum flower experience are are lost through that extraction process. But what we find is that what we're trying to achieve with this kind of daytime aesthetic or evening aesthetic, we've got caffeinated teas and the cannabinoid content of a uppity sativa flower and no non-caffeinated teas and the cannabinoid content of a relaxing indica flower. Uh, but the terp content and some of the kind of other uh, what are flavonoids or other things you want to call out from the plant are, are, are perhaps a bit muted, but um, for a, to make a great tasting tea, that was kind of necessary for us. Right. It doesn't even matter really, I guess, but, but also, but the entourage effect, I mean, but then you're right. You have, uh, you have, you have like that caffeine poking in there too. But... Yeah. I think that's the thing that gives me confidence that we are delivering on that experience is, is the caffeine content. Cause it, when you ingest uh, cannabis, I don't, the, you know, the ingestion of um, terpenes versus inhalation of terpenes, I think that full spectrum experience is, is a little bit more confusing for me, at least. So, um, yeah, again, we, we lead with taste and we lead with kind of the the um, effects of the tea to really drive towards those times of day. But there is a little bit of a, of a craft cult of our story that we do put into the into the drink. But it's it's uh, yeah, it's a little bit um, uh, flavor forward. And it, and it might be too much uh too much information for the regular consumer right now because yeah. the connoisseur and the you know the cannabis connoisseur is going to kind of lean more towards some other things you know even like dabbing and you know hash rosin whatever you know like more things like that but they're probably not going to be the one going for a five milligram you know thc drink uh it's just not it's just you know so so right that might be too much information strain specific complementing yeah blah 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 but maybe in the future i i can really see that because i i do see a lot of uh edible makers and uh, you know like more like beyond just edibles but baked edibles or uh you know talking about strain specific matching up with the flavors in say some powerful brownie of some sort or whatever i'm just saying you know toffee yeah i mean i've i've had uh infused beverages with distillate and i've had infused beverages with live resin uh which is maybe um a little bit more of a, of a uh, in the space that you're talking about and there is difference there is a i find there is a a, du a nuance of the effect that's different it's hard to articulate and it's not as yeah, directly correlated, I find, to inhalation um, differences, but there absolutely is uh, value That's... in exploring entourage effect with ingested products. But I think it's still pretty early, I'm finding, because I think also just the technology to preserve that and put that into a, a food product is is still pretty new. So we're we're still kind of learning in the R&D space. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we do have a ways to go. But, you know, thinking about the future, it's it's pretty exciting to think that that could real that that will be happening somewhere in the future. And then where are you guys with like bioavailability? Are you are you, and uh, you know, uh, I you know, I, it's 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 funny. Um, first, like cannabis beverages with an emulsion, an emulsified cannabis extract will have a faster onset time and higher bioavailability than a traditional edible. Um, so our onset time is is pretty good. It's fast. It might be 15, 15 minutes, 20 minutes before you start feeling effects versus 
you know, let's say 45 to an hour with a traditional edible. Um, but we we haven't really emphasized that as a, as a focus for our R&D. Like we, we feel like we're in a good spot in terms of a good onset time that's up to the expectations of a, of oh. a beverage but, um, but we try not to really focus too much on rapid onset or improving the onset time or maximizing bioavailability. The, the reality is, is like, that hasn't been a key marketing message for cannabis beverages so far, and we're all in the right ballpark. And also, it's kind of funny to think about that question in alcohol, right? Like, what's the onset time of a bottle of Sam Adams? It's yeah. not something that usually gets discussed much. So it's it's also just kind of a reflection of the curiosity with the cannabis category and how it's also new for so many people. Well, I guess it's it's it is discussed in the in the edibles part, because it does make a difference because it really does take a long time. It does take an hour and that can be confusing. And I know to my non-consuming friends who may just start to, you know, beginning to test the waters, I definitely guide them on dosing and making sure don't take anything for an hour, you know, to see how the effects are. So it is, but I see what you're saying too. It's like, well, they shouldn't expect anything different. It's 15 minutes, the same you would expect with an alcoholic beverage. So I see your point there. Well, I think that the general, like we still preach, start low, go slow, and um, you know, be mindful of how many cannabis, how many milligrams of cannabis you've consumed. It's just at some point, you know, it's hard to make a claim against that. It's hard to um, respect everyone's individual metabolism and everyone's individual. Right. Um, you know, context and mindset. So right. it's also just really hard to guarantee that message too. So I think that the main notion is, you know, be mindful of what you've consumed. Teapot's a five milligram drink. So the risk of accidental overconsumption is pretty low. And it does have a rapid onset relative to a traditional edible, but we don't lead with that message and we don't really prioritize that in our R&D. Some of the one of the big problems with the beverage companies trying to launch here, and we do have a lot of good craft coming out. Um, I'm sure a lot that I'm not even aware of, but one of the big problems that they're having is um, co-packing in each state. Like you know, yeah. typically you would just be in one state and distributing and manufacturing out to all the other states. So I know that's a big problem that they're hurdle that they're all trying to get over. So you probably wouldn't even consider. It's certainly in Boston Beer's wheelhouse, right? We are an American right? company. Coming into the We're United in this States, or category can. to prepare for future U.S. market opportunities. We're waiting, just like everyone is, to see how um, some of these policy changes are going to affect um, companies like us and how we could enter the market. <clears throat> so, in the meantime, we're just continuing to refine, get it right here in Canada, and make sure that our product is right, that we understand how to sell through and through dispensaries, and we'll continue to explore any opportunity to bring teapot into the American market. That's why we're doing this, yeah. but, uh, but we're not going to rush into something. So we're, very okay. Patient. So you're just, and it's about, it's about making sure that what we do is deliberate and has a long-term vision and okay. um, sets us up for that long-term success. Okay. Okay. So great. Okay. So I, I get that. So you're not even worrying about all those problems. And there's a lot of talk right now, even if we don't get federal legalization right away, uh, that the, you know, borders might open up, there might be individual state yeah. uh, agreements about borders opening. And, and I know there's a legal a lawsuit right now at the federal level, uh, 
Well, I, th I think that there's just a lot of noise there, right, Pam? And I think one of the, the, the ways I would kind of articulate it, how I view it, just as me personally, is rather than in Canada, there was a very clear, unequivocal legalization moment, right? There was a, a law that was passed and went from one day it was illegal, now it's federally legal. I think in America, it's more about systematically dismantling prohibition than some singular momentous legalization event. And I think that's yeah, yeah. what part of the dismantling does it allow us to participate? And I think that's that's the way I view it is, is this gets decriminalized or this gets rescheduled or this banking permission is permitted or this um, tax loop is, is closed. All those things are slowly dismantling the prohibition of, of cannabis. And that's, that's another, that's an alternative approach to legalization. Yeah, you're right. That's a great way to describe it. We're dismantling. <laughs> that seems what it be. That's what it is. Well, how about if we just end with maybe since you do have a great background in R and D and innovation and, and beverages, if, if, um, what advice would you give to someone who is trying to launch, you know, in the United States, maybe all these craft beverage people uh, trying to launch, uh, they might have a great idea, but launching is a whole nother story. And, and coming from your experience in, in the mass market world, what would you tell some, you know, craft beverage innovator? I mean, it's, it's, it would set, that's a, Great question, Pam. And I think that rather than, I think I'll just preach the same message that I said earlier, which is just taste, right? Like I think there's a lot of beautiful, beautiful cannabis packaging. There's a lot of beautiful cannabis beverage brands, a lot of clever names, a lot of really engaging, fun social media content. There's a lot of great trade activity and sponsorships and uh, events. All this is um, superficial marketing plays, right? The, that might get you that first purchase. That might get you a follow on Instagram that might get you um, a retailer to list your product. But the repeat purchase, the loyalty, the long-term success for your product for drinks more than anything has to be taste. It has to not, not just taste good, but taste good over a prolonged form of consumption. So, you know, call that a session test, call that, you know, uh, um, tasting it time and time again, ensuring that your drinker will fall in love with your flavor as much as they love your brand. So I think just prioritizing the liquid inside the package, especially since you can't really predict how regulations are going to fluctuate for packaging or marketing or, yeah. or, 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 or trade activity. So, but at the end of the day, the liquid's the liquid. So I think if you, if you have an undeniably awesome liquid that has consumers reaching out for that, that'll survive any regulatory scenario in the future. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, great. And then are there any plans or, or, or are you getting any feedback from the consumer about the uh, the the dosage? Uh, do you think it should be, I, I feel like tea, 10 milligrams should be the least in anything, but that's just me. But I'm just wondering what you. Yeah, what, I mean, I think what we're finding is five milligrams for our drinker is perfect because for some, they only want half a can and for others, they want two or three. And we're trying to find that kind of sweet spot in between that kind of consumer choice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, 10 yeah. milligram THC might be kind of the, the baseline of commercial success. So if you, for us, we're on a bit of a longer journey to try and kind of shift consumer behavior, but that's why five milligram works for us. Mm -hmm. And you're, and, and is anyone, have you seen any uh, competition in the United States doing a tea brand at all? 
tea infused? Uh, yeah, there, there's a few teas that exist out there, um, uh, but mostly they're kind of flavor extensions of an existing brand, not a dedicated tea brand like Teapot is. So, um, no, I, I, I'd love to kind of go head to head and do a Pepsi challenge on uh, on <laughs> cannabis teas, but uh, right now we're, we're in a good spot here in Canada um, yeah. with uh, market leadership. Um, but we, we would hope to find the same success in America. And you have a great name, so you're you're, you're got a name. It's all you know. We got we got, <laughs> got a, a, a nice name. name. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Thanks a lot, Paul. This was really enlightening, and um, I, I really. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.